Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. Why are bishops so boring? It's the one thing everyone notices, but no one says in public. But honestly, when did you last hear a bishop, Anglican or Catholic, utter a memorable thought? Why do they speak in what I call bishopese, where we're always gathered together in recognition of richness and diversity to celebrate our witness as a community informed by good practice? If you hang around church circles, you hear an awful lot of this stuff. One bishop is indistinguishable from another, and to put it bluntly, they sound like David Brent's annoying older brother or sister. But unlike David Brent, they've made it. They've got mitres and titles and sacramental powers that genuinely interesting clergy, who never get made bishops, can only dream of. I'm joined by Harry Mount, Ezra the Oldie, an agnostic Anglican, a church crawler and a people watcher. Harry, do you know what I'm on about? I certainly do, Damien, and I think the perfect Petri dish for this study is the Today programme and Thought for the Day, which I believe you, like me, are not very keen on. And the moment Thought for the Day begins, particularly if there's a bishop on, the intellectual level of the discussion dips and the boredom level spikes. And I think that's for two reasons. The intellectual level of bishops and clergy more widely has gone down vastly in the last... 50 years. And also, as you implied, the second reason, virtue signalling is perhaps the one main destination of bishops and the clergy more widely. Well, talking of virtue signalling, I, I don't think I can do better than to quote uh, Bishop Sarah Mullally, catapulted into the job of Bishop of London by Justin Welby, who has this fascinating thing to say about our nation's capital. London is a world-facing city, multicultural and multi-faith. It is a city of energy and diversity. London is open to all. We live in politically turbulent times with uncertainty for many. The discussions around Brexit, she has to say around, are not simply about legislation, they are about identity and the type of city we want to be. The EU referendum exposed divisions in our society and the present political process risks deepening them. I think we know what she's trying to say, which is Brexit is a bad thing. Fundamentally, she's saying very little. She's speaking in vacuous jargon. That could have gone straight onto thought for the day and ticks both those boxes, low intellectual level, stratospheric dullness level. And I think the big change is the educational and intellectual level of the clergy over the last, I would say, 50 years. So think of the 19th century where if you were born into a rich, educated family, famously the third son would go into the church. And the idea that someone who was educated and clever and ambitious would go into the church, I suppose, lasted into, what, the late, mid-20th century? So I remember about 20 years ago going to a friend's wedding, and the vicar then, who must have been 70, so he would be 90 if he's still with us, was clever, amusing, witty in his sermon at the wedding. He might have been the last generation where if you are clever, well-qualified, you choose to go into the church. And the reason is, follow the money. You know, In the 19th century, you'd be paid a lot more than, say, teachers or probably even bankers by comparison. You'd get a large rectory to live in. 
Now, if you want to go into the church, um, you will not necessarily be the most uh, educated and ambitious person of your generation. I find that both Anglicans and Catholics who go into the church may not necessarily be well-educated, but they're certainly ambitious, at least within the framework of ecclesiastical politics. Of course, there's always been a difference between the educational levels of Anglican and Catholic clergy, which is not entirely our fault, but it was traditional that the Anglican clergy were educated at Oxford and Cambridge, and I'm certainly old enough to remember the, the waspish and erudite clergymen of yesteryear. My experience as a young Catholic was that our clergy were less interesting, but we did have the delightfully eccentric, inspiring, and ever so slightly manipulative Cardinal Hume, a truly memorable figure. The current leader of the church in England and Wales is Cardinal Vincent Nichols. And let me treat you to some of his recent insights on the very important subject of the family. Well, let me say very clearly today that I too am a member of a family. I was born into a family, grew up in a family. I too have lived through the ups and downs of family life, the arguments, the dining table full of tensions, the times of unhappiness, as well as those of joy, of spontaneous laughter and of solemn awe. I am no expert, but then no one is. Each of us may know well our own family experience, but none of us has the right to generalise and project as normal the story or pathway that we have experienced. I'm sorry, just waking myself up. Vincent Nichols is a master of Bishop Ease. He's somebody one can imagine in the private sector as a successful middle manager, but certainly not the secular equivalent of a prince of the church. Sarah Mullally was successful in her career as a professional nursing officer, for which she received a damehood in her own right. But one of the consequences of that is that she's not only well-connected, which is perhaps how she got promoted so quickly, but also that she's completely fluent in jargon. And what always strikes me about public pronouncements of senior clergy is how dependent they are on the vocabulary the lexicon of the public sector. Yes, and there's another thing to point out, which is the dullness of the clergy and bishops has been around for quite a long time. I think the er text of this is the fantastic joke sermon by Alan Bennett in Beyond the Fringe more than half a century ago called Take a Pew, which completely nails the dullness of the clergy and their delight in appalling similes. Is that the one where God is like a tin of sardines? No, it's life is like a tin of sardines. Life is like a tin of sardines. We are all searching for the key, Damien. And it's absolutely It must be ten to, 10 to 8 on a weekday morning. Exactly. It's yes. absolutely brilliant. And that goes on today. The funny thing is that that style hasn't changed at all. In fact, the thought for the day this morning was by the retired Bishop of Liverpool, James Jones. James Jones. He did a sardine-type analogy. He was talking about the countdown to Brexit. And in a brilliant side move, moved from the countdown to Brexit to the countdown to his own operation some years ago. And this is the classic form of thought for the day, but also practically all sermons. You start with something current, like Brexit, move it into your own life or sardine tins, and then at the end, come back 
to the matter in hand. And it needn't the be The church like... is drowned out by the sound of the crunching of the gears. And needn't, they... needn't be like this. As, as we both agree, um, religion and Christianity is completely fascinating. And you can talk about it at a very high level. Occasionally on Thought for the Day, you'll have an intelligent person coming in including our friend and contributor to The Spectator, Tim Stanley. When he's on Thought for the Day, the dullness level doesn't go up, the intellectual level doesn't go down. He's completely fascinating. And you all remember Damien, our times on the Daily Telegraph, which seemed to be entirely staffed by Catholics, except for me, we would have extraordinary high-minded conversations in which I couldn't take part because I'm an idiot about aspects of the church and church history and church architecture. So you could be having the most wonderful, intellectually stimulating sermons on earth, but the personnel aren't up to it. Well, I think you could have enormously stimulating conversations with a whole array of rather eccentric, effective, perhaps charismatic priests, but none of them get promoted. Those who do become bishops are even duller in private conversation than they are in their public pronouncements. And that made me wonder whether it's fair to say that bishops are even more boring than politicians. Now, somewhat to my surprise, I've met boring politicians who turn out to be enormously entertaining and gossipy in private. I've never met a bishop who fits that description. I'm sorry to say, perhaps this will cost me my job, but... In my very limited experience, Cardinal Nichols is even less sparkling in private conversation than he is in his sermons. Well, that, there's a perfect logic behind that, that politicians, when they go on the Today programme, have to virtue signal for fear of telling the truth and suddenly being in a Twitter storm and losing their job. But also politicians, however much you may criticise them, are better educated, cleverer and funnier, not all of them, obviously, Boris Johnson, extremely clever, went to Balliol Scholar at Eden, all the rest of it. Jacob Rees-Mogg, who I was at university with, extremely intelligent. Actually, I wrote an article the Spectator a few years ago about how the Labour Party has gone downhill intellectually. I think that it's, it's fair to say that Jeremy Corbyn is no intellectual colossus. But the previous Labour political generation was clever. Both Miliband brothers got uh, either first-class degrees or two ones from Oxford. Ed Balls, Tony Blair went Indeed, to Oxford. Indeed, and go back another generation and you find even cleverer people. I mean, people forget that Harold Wilson was one of those brilliant dons of his All generation. All finals, yeah. You had um, Richard Crossman, you had uh, Tony Crossland, you had Roy Jenkins, you had Michael Foote, Dennis Healy. Men with a truly inspiring cultural hinterland. These people do exist among the clergy, but if one puts it in political terms, they wouldn't stand a chance should they be elected to Parliament of even making it to PPS. So I suppose the conclusion is that you get intellectual vicars and priests, but in order to advance, you must have a first-class degree in virtue signalling. Do you think that the wider and perhaps rather depressing lesson we might draw from this is that the cleverest people don't believe in God anymore. No, I don't think that's true. I know an awful lot of journalists, including Tim Stanley and and those people we work with at The Telegraph, including our former esteemed editor, Charles Moore, who are extremely intelligent and believe in God. They might, a century ago, have gone into the church. Now, not for a second would they think of going into the church because it's badly paid, because they don't get the rectory 
In fact, what you have to do is be like Charles Moore, earn enough money because you're so clever as a journalist to buy a rectory. So that's, I don't think that's true. I'm struck by the amount of journalists, including the esteemed editor of The Spectator, Fraser Nelson, who are very, very devout Catholics in his case. But I do think that we're talking about individual examples and essentially anomalies because the percentage of the, po- of the population who are practicing Christians or practicing adherents of any religion has fallen relentlessly over the decades. And perhaps one consequence of that is that it's easier for stupid people to rise up the church because the competition is less fierce. Oh, that, that must be true. I hadn't thought about that, but that must be true on a pure percentage basis. And I imagine a century or two centuries ago, when to go into the church was one of the um, top three things to do, quite a few people who didn't believe very strongly did do it because it was a way of getting on. I wonder if there's a connection with the noxious ugliness of so much Christian worship that people with a highly developed aesthetic sense are not attracted to the prospect of conducting dreary services in ugly buildings. I'm sure that's true, and if we think about various friends of ours who are highly intelligent, um, devout journalists, on the whole they will select particular services of a high intellectual level, and very often in the very beautiful churches, particularly in the case of Catholics, at the Brompton Oratory, a beautiful building, um, holding services with notably clever priests with notably clever priests so of course it's like uh, being a fan of cinema and wanting to go to good films perhaps somewhere putting the cart before the horse and one of the reasons people are so little attracted to religious practice is that what's on offer in the spiritual supermarket forgive the cliche is so intensely unappealing and in fact expensive in terms of the amount of time you have to put in listening to thought-for-the-day clichés. If the churches paid more attention to training their clergy to preach intelligently, and if the churches were prepared to take the risk of promoting brilliant mavericks, of whom there's a significant number, perhaps church attendance would pick up. I think that's true. I had an extraordinary experience the other day when I was preparing for a church tour of uh, churches in the city of London, including Wren's great city churches. And on my recce on a Sunday morning, I went to different churches and came across by accident five different services. And actually, they were extremely good, and they're a mixture of a, an evangelical service in St. Nicholas Cole Abbey in the city to a Ukrainian Orthodox service in um, an ecumenical church in the city of London. And they were almost full, all five of these services. Uh, and that's only because we're in London and you on a Sunday you must have the choice of several hundred services go to, to go to, which are only you know half an hour away on the tube. So if you can select a brilliant preacher in a beautiful church, you will go to them. If you're in a remote parish in the middle of nowhere and you have to go to your local church and you don't have that choice then you are probably caught with a sardine merchant. Harry Mount, I'd like to thank you very much for our valuable gathering today in a spirit of community and richness informed by best practice. In very real terms, going forward.